Well, my name is Andrew, and if I haven't met you, uh, love to meet you after the service. I don't know about you, but I was watching TV last Sunday night, and uh, I, you guys are cheering for This Is Us, right? That's why, like for that TV show, I thought that's why you're watching. No, right? So maybe you were watching it for that show. I wasn't. Uh, I was watching it because something else was happening, and uh, last Sunday night at 1020, I can officially say that the Eagles are Super Bowl champions. So pretty amazing, right? And, and so they brought us our first championship in 52 years, and it feels really good, right? And so um, maybe at 1020 on Sunday night, you heard gunshots. Maybe they were fireworks. I don't know. Uh, Pastor Tyler told me that he almost called 911 because he thought someone was dying in the apartment next door, but they were just cheering for the Eagles. So um, glad he didn't call 911. So the Eagles have, have brought that, in a, and they've also brought something else, an amazing unity to the city of Philadelphia. Right at my house on Sunday night, I was hugging every single person out of like the 20 people who were there. I was like, yeah. I don't love all of them the same, but I was hugging them the same way, right? And maybe you were too. And then that unity kept going until Thursday when the Eagles had their parade in Philadelphia. And so there's a, maybe 700,000 people, maybe 5 million, depending how optimistic you are. But people were just out there, and out of all those people, only two got stabbed. So it was a good day. <laughs> and listen, there is a sense of unity right now in Philadelphia because of the Eagles winning the game. And so people who don't even know each other will high-five each other and just, man, it is such a great atmosphere. But I have a prediction, though. And my prediction is, is that in a few weeks... All of the unity that we had in Philadelphia will slowly start to fade away, right? Because people will start to forget about the Eagles' win and start to remember that they care more about their rights than they care about a football team. Or they're probably going to realize that they care more about themselves than they do all of these other people. And so right now, Philadelphia is living out their name as the city of brotherly love, but eventually it's not going to feel the same way. And you know what? Here's why. Because unity, unity is not natural. It's not actually a natural thing. Right? So, so people aren't normally just like, hey, let me give up my life so you can have something. Or let me go out of my way and inconvenience myself so that you, you can have something different. Right? That's just not what we do on a normal basis. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, though, the church is called to a different standard. So, so as followers of Jesus, our job is to kind of be this alternate community, society that shows people what it would look like if God really was reigning and ruling over everything fully. Because right now, God is in control and he's all-powerful, but he hasn't chosen to rule over everything until Jesus comes back. So Christians are supposed to not just be people who sit and wait like, all right, when's Jesus coming back or when do I get to go to heaven? Christians are supposed to be people, and I, I love saying this, are supposed to be people who bring what heaven looks like to earth, right? So that's our job. But if we're going to do that, then there has to be a unity that comes with that. And we can't do that naturally. And, and here's the big idea. If you're taking notes this morning, here's what I want you to get. That unity doesn't come naturally. It comes supernaturally. That unity doesn't come naturally it comes supernaturally. And we're going to see this in the book of Ephesians this morning. So uh, the book of Ephesians is written by the Apostle Paul to churches uh, probably all over Asia. 
Uh, specifically, the city of Ephesus is, is mentioned by some people. And he's writing to people who primarily aren't Jewish. So if you're primarily not Jewish this morning, then you're what we call a Gentile. Right? Which I would assume are, are many, many, many of us in here. He's writing to people who aren't Gentile or who are Gentiles. And, and here's, what, here's what we need to know. Gentiles and Jewish people, they don't get together very well. And so Paul is writing to them, and, and what he wants us to know is, is what we learned two weeks ago. That when Jesus died on the cross and rose again, it made our relationship right between us and God. So we use this theological term called reconcile, okay? It reconciled us to God if you put your faith in Jesus. But now this week, he's going to say, hey, guess what? It didn't just reconcile us to God, but now it changed the way that we see each other in relationships. So we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. If you have your Bible or your app, open that up. Uh, if, you don't have, if you don't have the app yet on your phone or tablet, it's, just type in Bible in the search bar, and uh, that should come up, you version. And if not, it'll be up here on the screen for us. And before we look at that, let's pray this morning and continue to ask God to work in our lives. Dad, we, uh, we just say we need you. And we're kind of fickle people, and we have good days, and we have seemingly bad days. And we have days when we seem like it's going awesome with you and, and days when it's going horrible. And so I pray as we hear your word this morning that you would allow it to seep into our hearts and that you would work in us and you would change the parts of us that need to be changed. That you would give us a love for you and other people. I ask that your word would come alive to us today in your name. Amen. So Ephesians chapter 2 uh, the people Paul was writing to, okay, they're, they're Gentile people, but they've put their faith in Jesus, who's a Jewish person. And so, so there's kind of this issue where Jesus is sort of a Jewish thing, but they're not really Jewish. And, and so for us, we're going to put ourselves in their place because we are really kind of divided. And so if we want to be a unified people, the people we're called to be, here's the first thing we need to remember. We need to remember who we were. So two weeks ago, Pastor Joe talked about Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, and that basically says that you and I were dead in our sins, that we weren't just bad people, right? We weren't just bad people that God made good. We were dead people that God made alive. And so he wanted them to remember who they were so they realized how valuable what Christ did was. So now we're going to look at verses 11 through 12 because he wants us to do the same thing. He says this, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles, so the people he's talking to, right, by birth and called uncircumcision by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. And then he says, remember again. He really wants them to remember. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. So the Jewish people, they valued circumcision, right? It was kind of their outward symbol to say, we're different than everyone else. And these Gentile people, they didn't have anything to do with it. And then he says, guess what? Because you weren't part of the Jewish people, you don't get their promises. What's he talking about? Well, if we go way back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 12, we see God talking to the first Israelite guy named Abraham. And he gives him this promise or this blessing. And he says this. Right? I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless your family. And then here's the key. And I'm going to make you a blessing to all nations everywhere. 
Right? So, so God didn't just choose the Jewish people because they were his favorite. He chose them to be a blessing to all nations, which we ultimately see happen in Jesus Christ. So, so these Gentiles, they didn't have God. They didn't have his promises. They were basically over here somewhere else. I think it would be an understatement to say that the Gentiles felt left out a lot. So it, if you went to Israel back before, let's just say, 70 AD, you would have seen this amazing temple built by this guy named Herod the Great. And it was a spectacular site kind of built up on this hill a little bit. And so you had the temple, and then you had kind of what they call the court of the priests. So kind of like this space around the temple where the really religious people, kind of the priests, the people who made the sacrifices could go. And then outside of that, you had what they called kind of the court of the men and the court of the women. And they were kind of just places for, for Jewish men and women to kind of go and be around the temple and, and, and congregate. And so those were all on the same level, okay? So all the Jewish people were kind of there. But then you, you had about five steps down, okay? So this stage is only four steps, so imagine another step. And then you saw a big wall. Okay, and then another 14 steps down, right, just think about one of the stairwells in this building, 14 steps down after that, there was another wall bigger than that wall, and that wall was five feet wide. Okay, this is what they called the court of the Gentiles. And so we know from history, from excavating the site, that at different intervals around this wall there were plaques. And these plaques said this, no person from another nation may cross this wall. Now my favorite part, if you do, your death will be on your own head. Basically, not trespassers will be prosecuted, right? Trespassers will be killed. And so think about this. If you're a Gentile and you say, man, I, I think that really is God. Here's what you're doing. You're looking up 14 steps to a wall then another five steps, and finally up, way up there, you can see the temple, and you see God. And so the Jewish people and, and, and the Gentile people couldn't be more separated. Man, what, what Paul wants them to know is that this isn't an impossible barrier to overcome, but it's not possible naturally. So if we, we go back to our history in our country, right, we think about the 60s and the 70s with civil rights and we see that people are finally getting equal rights regardless of their skin color or ethnic origin. And I think it's actually a dark time for, let's just say, white Christians in America before this because for some reason we just thought it was natural, right, that people who had a different color skin should be treated differently. And we weren't the first people to do this, but for somehow that just felt like it was a natural thing. And until Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and many others who joined him right before and after, I mean, they came and they helped to see that people, people should, be, should be on equal ground. But I only say that because it's so easy in, in, to remember who we were, right? To say, hey, guess what? We don't get it by nature. Like, you're not good enough. You're not nice enough. You're not enlightened enough, right? To really treat everybody with unity and be unified with everyone. And so it's not until something supernatural happens that we can actually be unified with everyone. And so that's the second thing we need to remember today. That to be unified, we need to realize what Christ has done. So again, going back to the beginning of this chapter, verses 4 through 10, 
First in one through three, we heard how bad we were. Then in four through 10, we heard what Christ has done, right? That he died on the cross, that he made a way that's open so we can be in relationship with God so that when God looks at us, he doesn't see my messed up self or your messed up self. He sees Christ's perfection. Now Paul's saying, hey, guess what? It's the same thing that it should be with other people now. And we're gonna read 13 through 18 there is a lot in 13 through 18, and we can't hit all of it, but we can kind of hit, hit the important parts. So it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. And so that's a lot. And so first we see Jesus in his supernatural work. Right? And, and I love what it says about Jesus. And maybe we need to embrace this this morning. It said, for he himself is our peace. Not just that he brought peace between these two groups of people, right? That he himself is our peace. And someone in here today needs to hear that. You need to know that Jesus is your peace. That it's not, you're not finding your peace in your work. Or you're finding your peace in your approval from other people. Or you're finding your peace in how secure you are in your finances. Or how secure or insecure your job situation is. That Jesus himself is your peace. That in your heart, when you feel like things are kind of just not going well. And they're just kind of all over the place. Jesus can be your peace this morning. And we need to embrace that truth. And so Jesus really is our peace. And because he is our peace, because of what he do, what... Because of what he did, here's what happened. These Gentiles and these Jewish people, right, the wall was broken down. So, so think, think like that huge wall that we just talked about. Now think, hey, guess what? All of that's gone, and these two people can be on the same level now. Right, he did something amazing. And, and then what does it say he did, though? That he made them into one new humanity. So, so here's what we're not, right? We're not as the church, not, not just the Spring Valley, but all Christians everywhere. We're not the new Israel, right? We're not like taking over their place. Because at one point, you know, the Gentiles were outsiders, the Israelites, the Jewish people were insiders. But Jesus had to preach to both of them. Because listen, God's plan isn't to say, hey, now we're all the new Jewish people. No, now we're all Jesus' people. And we're a new humanity, so when I say new humanity, here's what I don't want you to think. Golden doodle. Right? Don't think golden doodle. Don't think like two dogs together and now we're a new dog. No. Right? It's not about that. I love dogs, but it's not about that. Right? We're, not, we're something other than, than what we were. How many of you have watched the opening ceremonies of the Olympics? So a few of us, I watched it because my wife loves it, right? So at the very end, maybe you saw this on the news Korea came together, North Korea and South Korea, they marched under one flag and, and they came to the Olympics like that, right? Very beautiful sight. All the commentators were saying, man, they were getting teary-eyed. And so just imagine, I don't think this is going to happen, but imagine the two Koreas said, you know what? That felt real good. Let's make ourselves into one new nation, 
right? And so then they had a new name, maybe just Korea, right? That would be easy. Korea, the new nation of Korea. But that's not the kind of new we're talking about. It would be as if the Koreans like said, hey, we're going to come together and we're going to be our own continent. Actually, we're going to be a new kind of person. That's what Jesus is saying when, when his work happens. People who follow him aren't just new. We aren't just better. We aren't just good. We're actually something completely different. Like a new kind of human being like Jesus was that's supposed to reflect the glory of God. And so Jesus says, if you're a follower of him, by his work, you're something brand new now. And then I love this, and we have to catch this part. Okay, it's exciting that we're new, but in 16 and 18, he gave us access to God through his spirit, the spirit that he puts inside of us. But then it says this in verse 16. It says, in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Okay, so you just, have to, you just have to stick with me for a second. How did Jesus put to death their hostility? How, how does that work? Well, here's what I think. When Jesus died on the cross, he took our sins on himself, including our hostility. Right? So Jesus didn't become hostile somehow. But, but what is the root of hostility is our sin. And so he took our sin on himself. And so when he died on the cross and rose again, we call that the, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. What happened is that he took away the power of sin in our lives. So not that we can't be hostile anymore, because we still can, but now we actually have the power not to be hostile or not to sin. Right? And so when Jesus died on the cross, he killed our need to have to be hostile to one another. And now he's opened up the way for us to be unified. And so when we start to realize what Christ has done, we can be unified. And so that's awesome, right? Because here's the truth. And now that Christ has done that, you have more in common with a Christian in China than you do your next door neighbor who doesn't know Jesus. Even if you and your, your neighbor are on the so, same socioeconomic level, your kids are the same ages, you actually have more in common with that person in China who's a follower of Jesus then you do that person next to you because as followers of Jesus, we're something new, we're something different, and our lives should reflect that. And so we talked about that that should happen, but maybe you're asking, what does that actually look like? And I'm glad you asked that question because that's what our text is going to talk about right now. And so what does it mean to be a people of unity? Here's the third thing we need to understand. To be unified, we need to reflect on who we are who we are, right? Because actually we're now a new kind of person because of the good news of Jesus Christ. So, so Paul's going to give us a, a few pictures of what that looks like, and, and let's read it in verses 19 through 22. He says this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, being the one that kind of sets it right and sets it straight and, and leads it, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows up into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built up together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so Paul wants to make it clear what this means. And so first he says that we're citizens, right? We're of the same kind of 
country together. So this is the opposite of verse 12 where they were strangers and aliens, right? Now we're citizens of the same country. So, so just think we sort of all have a social contract, okay? That's what it is. We cheer for the same team. We have the same basic things going on. So we're related like that. But then he says, now we're not strangers, but we're members of the same household. And if you've been in church for, for a while, you've heard that, the, that being part of the church is about being part of a family, right? So we're sort of brothers and sisters together. Think about this. If you're part of the same family, then you have the same DNA as your brothers and sisters. Like you're kind of connected in a, in a different way than everyone else. And so if that's true, that means that we need to treat other followers of Jesus like we would treat our brothers or sisters or moms or dads or family members, which means that you go out of your way to care for them and love them and serve them, and it means that you have to sacrifice for them. Right? Look to, look to your left and to your right. That was my left and my right. Look to your left and look to your right. Now look across the room at someone. If you're following Jesus and they're following Jesus, you're connected like family. If you want to be or you don't want to be, you're connected like family. So that's the second picture that, that Paul gives us, right? That we're connected that way. But then the third picture is probably the most shocking and maybe a little uncomfortable. Because he says this, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're being built up like blocks in a temple. A holy temple where God dwells into us. So, I don't know if this is the picture that Paul had in mind, but it could be if it was written to the book to the church in Ephesus. So, in Ephesus, there was is, there is a lot of temples to a lot of gods, okay? So, they were very religious type people, lots of temples. And so, there was one specific temple called the Temple of Artemis, or whether Greek or Roman, it could be Diana, right? And it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And so, this is what the city of Ephesus was known for, this giant temple, Okay, and inside of that temple, in the very middle of it, was a huge statue of this goddess made of gold, right? And, and so if you wanted to get in touch with this god or goddess, you went to this temple, right? Like this was the place where the, where the, where the person dwelt. And so what's Paul saying? He's saying, hey, listen, you and I, we're actually the place where God dwells. Because we have God's spirit in us, God dwells in us, so that means we have to be a reflection of him to the world. Like if people want to know what God's like, they're supposed to be able to come to us. Is that always comforting? Not really, right? Because we're not perfect people, but we're being grown and built into this place. But here's the problem. It's not just you. God dwells in you. No, no what does he say? He says, God dwells in us. Like people fully know God when they know us as a community. Jesus said that people will know who I am and they'll know my love by your love for one another. Right, so it's not just an individual sport, right? Right, we're, we're not talking about golf. We're talking about football. It's a team sport where we're together and that's how we're truly known. And what does it say? That Jesus brings us as one body to God. And so there's this crazy thing about, hey, it's not you and God, it's us and God together. He says we're, we're cemented together. So sometimes when I, when I go out of my office, this is what I get to see, and I praise God for this picture. Right? This is part of the foundation walls for our new building in East Coventry, or North Coventry, right? So this is exciting. 
And so I didn't know there was a, there's kind of a moat around it. I didn't know that, but um, hopefully that'll go away. So I go out and I look at this building and I got to see it being built. And here's what it, here's what it looked like. Ready? It looked like a bunch of cement trucks coming, pouring concrete into this big long pipe and it would come down. And it would fill kind of these forms that made this wall. Now here's the thing. In the concrete trucks, there's water, there's rocks, lots of different kinds of rocks, and then there's lots of other stuff that I don't know what it is. Okay, no idea. I know the concrete trucks have to keep spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning or bad things happen. Okay, but the reason they have to keep spinning is because once the rocks come down and all this stuff comes down into the walls, what happens? It starts to get hard and starts to be cemented together. Right, it, it's kind of like building blocks for a building. And so Paul is painting that picture for us that as followers of Jesus, we're not just fellow citizens with a social contract. We're not just kind of brothers and sisters with the same DNA that we're actually cemented together. So what does that mean? What does that look like? Here's just a few applications. I think it means that we're people who don't just come to church. Right, we're not just in a connection group. We don't just serve. That we're people who are connected. That you have other followers of Jesus in your life who can hold you accountable. Not just people you meet with kind of like once in a while, but people who can actually are in your life and see what you're doing and see if you're actually living out what it means to follow Jesus. And that you're in someone else's life. It means that we don't just pray to God individually. It means that we pray to God together, coming to him, talking to him as sons and daughters. That it's not just, hey, I'm loosely associated with these people, but that I have followers of Jesus in my life that they're connected maybe even more than you're comfortable with. See, that's what being unified really is about. And there's probably other applications to that. But that's uncomfortable, right? And you're like, ah, I don't know if I can do that. And I'd say you can't do that. Like you literally can't do it. We've been talking this whole time about how it's not natural to be unified. Because here's the truth. Many of you have had experiences where you, where you have tried to get close to someone and you have been connected. And then what did they do? They broke your trust. And you're like, oh, I'm not sure I can be close to people like that. But I think an even greater reality is, is not just that we, we've had bad experiences, but that we're self-righteous. Okay, that we're actually self-righteous people, and so we look at other people. Maybe you look at other people in this room and you say, I've never done what that person's done. I would never think the way that person thinks. Here's the truth, though. It's probably more than just people in this room that we look at whole groups of people, and we look down on them because we say, man, I'm not going to be like them. I would never treat people like that way or think that way. And so we're self-righteous. And that's why we're disunified. Because we think, man, I'm better than that. I don't need that. I don't want them knowing that. It's hard, but it's true. This is why we need to remember who we are. Because that probably exists in many of our hearts. And you know what? Here's what the solution is. Instead of looking down on people, we need to look up to the cross. Because like we said before, on the cross, what did Jesus do? He took our hostility on himself. He didn't become hostile, but he took our hostility on himself. 
What does that mean? It means that that because he's up there and he has your hostility, it means that you don't have the right to say, I'm better, I'm good, I'm awesome. Because the truth is, there have been times when you've done that to people when you've said, I would never do that to people. There are times when you thought things that you think, well, those other people think, but you've thought them. There's times when you've done things that you look at other people and say, I would never do that. See, when you look up at Jesus, what you really realize is that you are the reason Jesus is on the cross. That it's your hostility that he has up there. Not, not someone else's hostility, not the hostility that the Jewish people and the Gentile people have. That it's your hostility and my hostility that we have for people. And what did Jesus do? He killed it. He crushed it. He destroyed it. And when you realize, and when I realize, that our hostility is the reason Jesus is on the cross, what does it create in you? It creates humility. Because you said, someone who I've hurt, who I've sinned against, loved me enough to go to that cross, to take on all of those things. And so when you become humble, when you become filled with humility, how does that change the way that you look at people? You stop saying, I'm better than them. That they're not in the same level as I am. Because when you believe the gospel, when you believe the good news, here's what you find. That, that, that God doesn't love you because you're up here, that somehow you're so good. And God doesn't love this person because they're even better than you or somehow they're worse than you. No, when you believe the gospel, here's what happens. You start to see yourself rightly and everyone comes to Jesus at the same level. Right at the foot of the cross, we all come to God. And so when you believe that, then there's no room anymore for looking down on people. There's no room anymore for saying, you're not my people. Because if you have Jesus and they have Jesus, you're his people. And so this morning, if there's hostility in your heart towards someone, if there's pushing away from others, if there's prejudice that you have against a group of people or, or a different kind of person, today I'm asking you to say, ask Jesus to help you believe what he did, to help you believe that truth. Because what the enemy, who we call Satan, one of his characteristics is that he's here to, to separate us, to divide us. And what does Jesus want to do? He wants to make us new. And so we're going to celebrate that this morning through communion. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward to, to start being prepared to pass out communion. See, what communion really is all about is something people have been doing for thousands of years since Jesus, and it's partaking in one body and one cup. The one cup is Jesus' blood, and the one body is Jesus' body, that he gave that up for us. And this morning, if you've never heard the good news of Jesus before, or you've never said, yes, I want that, I want to be part of God's people, you can do that this morning before we receive communion. All you need to do is say, God, I, I want to be part of your people. Would you forgive me and change me and help me follow after you?
And so as we prepare to receive communion this morning, I'd like us all to stand. And we're just going to sing and pray the truth that we all need the most this morning. The truth that will unify us is that, Jesus, we need you. And after the song is done, I'll come back up and I'll walk us through communion.